0: What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. Before we jump into an awesome episode with Ms. Amber of Fieldcast Survival, a few quick comments. First off, today's episode is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I'm a huge fan of both the people and the coffee over at BRCC. This weekend, uh, my best buddy and I are going to be headed out to schwack a deer, and I am super excited. Uh, We're planning on backpacking in, staying a couple of nights, freezing, maybe a little bit, Uh, but that means that I'm going to be trying to cut down on the amount of weight and stuff I probably won't won't need coffee though is uh, is a necessity and will absolutely be in my pack. Uh I love the BRCC coffee bags. Uh they're little uh they're like tea bags, they're little steep bags that fill, are filled with coffee that you throw in hot water and let them steep for a little bit and uh, in my opinion, they're almost as good if not better than a legit pot of coffee. Be sure to hit them up at uh, blackriflecoffee.com and to use code vanguard for 20% off your first order. 20%, 20%, use code vanguard for 20% off your first order. Uh Uh, But a few quick announcements. Uh, Number one, thank you for the ratings and reviews. Please, if you haven't yet, take a second to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you get this podcast. It means the world to me continues to get me uh, in front of a greater audience and get the message of the show out there. Number two, new designs uh, continue to hit the shop, and I'm super excited. Uh, My wife and I have been designing a couple shirts here and there and uh, turning them into Hopefully some pretty awesome designs. We've actually upped the quality of shirts that we're using and uh, we've got a few on order for ourselves to hopefully get some pictures out on the gram and uh, share with you all. Um, But be sure to hit us up at VanguardStories.com. Pick up your swag and uh, kind of in the same vein of the gram, uh, be sure to follow us on the Vanguard Project uh, on Instagram. It's uh, linked in the episode description. Uh, on the Instagram I, I tend to be that's my interface with you all you know it's, it's fun to sit down and, and talk to the microphone and, and interview people but it's fun to interact with the greater audience and uh, that's what I do through Instagram asking questions doing Instagram live sharing information um, hopefully soon sharing some more uh, good good things that I learned along the way as well and uh, maybe some of the tools that I've learned in particular. Um, Throughout my journey in life as well. So uh, let's get connected. Uh, But beyond that, I'm going to stop yakking and we're going to get into an awesome episode. So uh, let's roll it. (laughs) What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you joining for the first time, my name is Austin Jardine, and uh, I'm just some dude sitting in my office at home. And I I love to chat with people, get their stories, uh, understand who they are, uh, get to know them a little bit more, uh, kind of the experiences that they've gone through, understanding how we can relate to you in a way that maybe uh, gets you excited about something, uh, teach you something new, maybe give you a new perspective to lean on. And uh, with that being said, I've got uh, Miss Amber from Fieldcraft Survival on the phone with me. And I'm really fortunate because I've, I have followed you for a little bit. Uh, we got connected, I think, just the other day. And uh, I'm excited because I feel like you've got a lot of life experience and knowledge and things that you teach people about. So I was wondering, you know, maybe if we could just start with an introduction of, of who you are and uh, I'll, I'll interrupt as we
1: go. Yeah, for sure. So thank you so much for having me. I love having conversations and getting to know people as well. And I think that. That intimate connection with other human beings is, um, is such an important concept when it comes to, to relationships and, and business relationships. And as I moved into, I guess, what people would consider the tactical community, quote unquote, <laughs> um, I, I just saw the importance, um, especially as we bring more women into that fold, of making sure that we keep and maintain you know, that, that special part of connection and understanding people because it is, it's so, so important to, to business relationships as well as everyday relationships. So uh, I'm happy to be here, but I'm Amber. Like you said, I am, um, the director of family preparedness and I do women's development at Fieldcraft survival. And, um, this is not really a, a career that I envisioned. I have a bachelor's degree in nursing, so I have a nursing background and Um, I was teaching holistic health courses and homeschooling my children and just being a stay at home mom. And so moving into having a, Oh, look, there's a little person behind me (laughs) Um, and homeschooling my kids. I was homeschooling my kids and, um, teaching them preparedness and self-reliance was something that just naturally was happening in our home. It's how I was raised. I was raised very rural. We still live very rural and it just kind of caught the attention of caught the attention of field craft. And, um, it's something that they wanted to integrate into what they were already doing and the education model that they had. They really were looking to expand into something that was more all encompassing of everyday people training for everyday people. Right. And not just the firearms component. And so the, the family aspect of it was so important. And um, I think our visions just aligned. And I had, I had the, the zeal, I guess, to try to present it to an audience and bring in a demographic in a way that um, was something that they, they wanted at the time. And so the timing was great. And, and it just really took off from there. And so I work with Fieldcraft. Um, I still do my Holistic health education, and I actually still homeschool my children. So, <laughs> so I just. You're busy. <laughs> a little, but it's great. It's challenging and it's very fulfilling. Um, and I think it's such a niche topic and something that a lot of people are maybe uncomfortable diving into or they're overwhelmed diving into it. They're not really sure where to start. And so being able to be somebody to organize it and present it to somebody in a way that shows them. That you don't have to have a military background or a, a medical certification or a thousand acre farm in order to be more self-reliant and more prepared. It's it's everyday training for everyday people, right? And so right. to get it across to people in that way and make it a lot more easy to digest and approachable and relatable um, is is, it, it's, it's hugely empowering, not only for the people that we're teaching, but it's, um, it's empowering for me too, to be able to see people like step into that, that fullness of something that they felt like was a missing component of their life.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I can, I feel like I'm slowly learning more about the self-reliance and everything. And you said that you had grown up, um, kind of in that mindset, more or less, do you mind talking about what that looked like for you and, and what that, what that means uh, or what that meant back then, and what that might have transformed into now.
1: Definitely, I don't think it was something that seemed very atypical for me growing up. Just because in a rural area, people are a lot more in tune to being self-reliant. You know, growing up with a garden wasn't something new to me. I grew up in a a very small rural school. I graduated in the class of twenty eight. So in pre K through twelfth grade, we had less than five hundred students in this school. Um, very small community. And um, and a very rural feel, you know. I was always part of the FFA, and not the Future Farmers of America. People get that mixed up, but just the the ag based um, the ag based curriculum in our town. And so we did things like raise chickens to sell for the community. I competed in welding competitions. We did um, we did horticulture identification. You know, we go out into the woods and identify edible foliage or harmful foliage. So. All of this just came very naturally. Um, We had responsibilities growing up, you know, we had, we had land and we had animals and we had to take care of it. Um, I remember my dad putting bricks on the tractor seat because I didn't weigh enough in order to (laughs) to start it it because you had to like weigh (laughs) a certain amount. Um, so from a very young age, we just took responsibility for, you know, I could tell you really young what a PTO was and how to be careful around the PTO of a tractor. It was just something that, that we knew. So we knew how to take care of tires and to maintain your vehicle and change your oil and change a tire. And, um, and and we grew up with firearms, you know, they were part of hunting. We did hunting a lot. And so gun safety was something that just came really naturally to us. Nothing was ever very, nothing ever in the self-reliance world stood in stark contrast to what our life was. It was just part of our life. And so um, it's important to me to try to have the grace to see that other people didn't grow up that way, Mm -hmm. but also take how I grew up and in that understanding of guns always felt like a a grave responsibility, right? Like something I had to be very responsible and diligent around, but there was never fear around that because it started from very early. It was just part of life. And so I can look back at my understanding of that. And that's just an example of the firearms. I can look back at my understanding of that as a child and how, how I navigated that. And it never felt like there was a danger present because safety was just embedded in our life because it was a lifestyle. Right. And it was something that we did consistently. And it's something we had conversations about and everything revolved around education and the inclusion of me. So it was never like, this is a very dangerous tool or, you know, even when it came to the tractor and the PTO, it was never, this is super dangerous and you need to fear it and avoid it. It was This is how it functions. This is how it operates. And this is how you're going to be safe around it. And so nothing was ever fear-based. And so I can look at that and say, okay, that's how I got through it and grew as a child. I can understand other people may not have grown up that way. So let me combine the two, the grace and the understanding of how this could be scary, but also let's, let's minimize that fear and understand that education and consistency and making it a lifestyle is the solution. Sure. And so I think that is what allows me to do what I do in the way that I do it is being able to bring both of those concepts to the table. Okay. That makes sense.
0: It does. It does. So maybe a question coming out of that is, you know, when people are scared of something, it's hard for them to approach it with an open mindset, right? Which I imagine you Mm -hmm. probably see a lot of kind of in the roles that you play. Have you learned any, you know, good tact for, I guess, helping people overcome the fear and then take that next step to, I guess maybe you get more involved in firearms or farming for instance, or animals, you know, some people I know are scared of dogs, horses, right? Is there, have you learned any good tactics for, for helping people?
1: Absolutely. Um, there's not, a, there's no one size fits all solution, right? It's a very bespoke thing when it comes to your fear. And so um, Gavin De Becker says that what you fear isn't actually what you fear. It's what's attached to the fear. And I think that that is valuable. And so I always encourage people, whether they're coming to me and saying, my 15 year old is terrified of X, Y, Z. It starts with relationships and conversation, taking the time to listen, to validate the fear. And it's the same within yourself. I'll tell people like this gets very psychological and mm-hmm. woo woo for people. And they just want <laughs> an answer. There's not an answer because fear is psychological, right? Right. It's right? something that is existing inside of us and not, not, not necessarily an imminent threat, you know? Um, because true fear is not paralyzing it's energizing. And so when you understand that you can kind of get a more eagle eye view of, okay, what is my fear actually attached to? What do I actually fear? Okay. Is it, is it a lack of knowledge about this? Is it an experience that I had maybe a bias that I, I'm not even sure where it came from. So there's a lot of evaluation and internalization you need to do to process where this comes from. It's work, right. it is work to understand that and to grow as an individual, but it's, it's, worth, it's worth doing the work. And so I always encourage people, you need to sit down and you need to figure out where the fear comes from and what the actual fear is. And then you can take the steps to mitigate that fear. To, maybe, it's an, maybe it's education. Most of the time it is education. Conversation with people that are subject matter experts, Um, that you respect, people you can relate to, a lot of times that's where it begins. And it's moving from the unknown to more of an understanding and a realization. I can't tell you how many times women tell me they're terrified to carry a firearm because they don't want it to accidentally shoot somebody when it's in their purse. Well, okay, let's let's talk about what Kydex is And the fact that you can't penetrate Kydex with anything that's in your, sitting in your purse, your lip gloss, isn't going to go through the Kydex. And if you paid for a holster that's made for your gun and your gun locks in there securely, this is, this is not an actual fear. This is just a misunderstanding. And so the fear isn't what you actually thought you feared, right? It was something related to the fear. And so it's just these simple conversations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because like, that's something I've learned, right. Is being able to sit down and, and look at a fear and being able to kind of trace back to what it is that I actually am worried about, right. Or scared of, have you found that people are open to having those? Cause that's, that's a vulnerable conversation. I feel like, right. When people start talking about something that they're scared of, uh, when you get, you know, ladies in, in this instance, right. Talking about these things, is it pretty easy for them to open up and you to help kind of direct the diagnosis of, of what they're scared of? or are they kind of yeah, closed it,
1: off? It, it depends on the person. Um, I'm not, it's not in my personality to just give shallow, a shallow answer. If somebody has taken the step to admit a fear or to reach out um, and to be vulnerable, it usually means that they're ready for a solution, uh, usually. And so that involved, it's a process. There's not just an answer. And that's what I tell them from the very start is I'm so proud of you for coming to this conclusion. There are, ne- there are, more steps, you know, but, but admitting it is the first action step and action is so vital and important. And sometimes action looks like sitting back with a notebook and writing things out like that can be action, but it's just not staying stagnant in something that's not working for you. And so when they admit that there's a fear, I just do my best to, to let them know there's something on the other side of this fear and that's empowerment. And that changes everything for you like this fear is paralyzing to so many different parts of your life. And so it's also important when they're evaluating that fear to also analyze what it's affecting and what can be changed, like what can be enhanced in their life when they can mitigate that fear. And so then it starts to be, um, like there's a a reward factor involved, right? There's a, there's a goal. Now there's something to look forward to and and envision on the other side of doing this work. If somebody doesn't want to do the work, then I, I mean, you can't force anybody to do it. Sure. Um, so, so for the most part, I just, I let them in on that conversation of what getting to the other side of that, of that fear looks like, and that it involves work. And, and normally I'm pointing them back to a resource that we've created already. And then okay. it's in their hands to do that work or not. And, and if somebody's not ready for it, maybe this, maybe they're not ready for it, but um, I don't ever really have anybody say, say um, like, no, that's too much for me. You know, normally they'll just probably be quiet about it, but for the most part, people are, if they're admitting it, they're, they're ready for that next step or they're ready to move into that, that, um, that empowerment really, because it, it, it was dis- it was uncomfortable enough in their life that they were, they were wanting to change.
0: Right. Okay. So when people start to come to you for, you know, I guess suggestions, direction, I mean, you said you point to various resources. Uh, is one of them kind of the same type of thought process where you sit down and say, okay, well, let's talk about obviously one, where does a fear come from? But then do you, I guess, when you, and I'm thinking kind of just like if somebody comes and starts asking somebody uh, for help or guidance or whatever the case may be about a fear, do you start to direct them down the path of understanding? what the end goal is supposed to look like? Um, Like, Hey, you know, once you get over this fear, this is what it'll look like for you, right? You'll be more confident, more competent, more comfortable, whatever the case may be. Or do you start to direct them down the path of like, Hey, here's actually a resource. You need to learn this first, then this, then this next thing. I mean, is there, did that question make sense?
1: Yeah, for sure. It depends on the person. So you're like, it, it it depends, I think on the emotional attachment they have to that fear whether I then connect it to more of the psychological process of evaluating it, or if it needs to be more action step, because some people are just very clear, like I I need to move forward. What's my next step. And so getting in the weeds of the psychology doesn't work for them, but then there's other people who are a little more paralyzed in the, this fear is intense and this fear is real. And, and all of our, this all comes from, from things that have happened to us, possibly things that may we may have seen. And a lot of people are dealing with a lot more trauma than we realize. And so there has to be some level of sensitivity I find like moving through that. And so I just try my best to read the person. Um, I do, I love the Socratic method and I use it with my children. And so a lot of it is not me imposing thoughts and feelings. It's me walking you through you doing the answering. There's questions I ask that I think are important but it's, it's just me communicating to you that you already have the answers and I'm just helping you pull them out. Sure. And, and so that kind of directs the conversation. Um, and then, yeah, there's a lot of pointing to resources after that. Um, but, but it it has to be action-based, right? Like with anything else that somebody's working through, like I'm here to be a support. I, I can only do so much for such a large group of people, um, that I'm trying to give my time to, uh, but, But you have to be willing to do the work, we will provide the resources and we already do provide the resources in so many different instances. um, But it's definitely a personal decision.
0: Okay, okay. No, that's, that's really interesting So, stuff. Everything you just said is very interesting to me right like over the past couple of years I started to learn a lot more about. I guess, uh, understanding feelings, emotions, being able to track through thoughts and understand kind of the root causes of them. And so that's something that like, I've been working on mostly kind of for myself and learning as I go about how to engage with people in a similar way. And I feel like what you just said takes a lot of emotional intelligence to work through that, particularly when it comes to fears. Right. So I guess maybe a question is how have you developed your skill set to be able to sit down with, a total stranger more or less and being able to navigate some pretty hairy waters.
1: Well, I think that, I think that's, that some of that just comes naturally to me. Mm-hmm. I think, I think culturally too, being raised in the South, it, it's a very relationship rich area, right? Nobody's very shallow in their relationships here. Um, that can be a good thing sometimes. And that can be a bad thing because there's times <laughs> when you just want your space and your privacy. Um, but but we we were made to be people in relationship to one another and and so developing my skill sets it's something i grew up doing reading people's emotions is something that i have just always done and understanding people as i've grown up and as i've moved you know into adulthood was something that i found valuable and rewarding so we all have seasons of life and maybe i moved through rush seasons where there were topical relationships and, and they just don't work for me. Right. My best friends in life are friends, multiple friends that I've had since I was, I was three years old. Like I don't do things in a shallow way. That's right. just not who I am. And, um, and then also as a Christian and with my understanding of what relationship looks like between individuals, because we're, we're trying to mirror that and be image bearers of Christ you know, that I think that's where a lot of my skill set comes from too, is being filled up spiritually in the way that I'm supposed to be filled up by spending time in, in relationship with the Lord and understanding what his vision is for me and how I am, I am being in relationship with other people and how I am to see people the way that I want to be seen and the way that he sees me, you know? And so I think that that's a huge component too. Um, I also am a huge advocate for For counseling. I think that we need redirection and we need to have people, even if it's not a counselor, you're going to their office, but somebody that is, that is wisely guiding you and helping to redirect your thought processes and help you sort through the muck of life. You know, I, I go to a counselor regularly. Um, and it's one of the most encouraging things on my calendar because I am a deeply intrinsic person who processes things internally. And I probably overprocess things. My counselor <laughs> jokes that I'm, she's like, you are a counselor and I'm just making sure you're on the right page. Like you overanalyze <laughs> things so much by the time you get here. Um, but I just wanna make sure that my direction is clear and that I'm doing the work to maintain my own emotional health so that I can help people the best way possible without imposing my own bias in sure. an overly assertive manner, right? um, acknowledging my own fears and doing the, the work of sitting back and, and, and recognizing what that looked like and what those steps looked like so that I can have better empathy for people and allowing myself to be human. I, I mean, honestly that, and, and never stop and never stop learning for me. Like psychology is very interesting to me and understanding fear and human emotion and our responses to fear. Um, I spend a lot of time doing my continuing education hours on, psychology and, um, and neuroscience. And so I, I never stop being a learner in that way. I'm, I'm always trying to learn and ask questions and, and hear people just to just truly hear people and what they have to say. So I think that's really, that's what's in my toolbox.
0: That's your toolbox. Yeah. That's it's funny that you, uh, it's funny that you say that. Cause that's, that's how I refer to, to my, uh... My tools in my toolbox when it comes to handling emotions. Cause I I see a therapist once a month now. And I actually I went yesterday. So <laughs> going oh, yeah. going is, is more of a pain <laughs> because he's like it's a 30-minute drive, you know, there, 30-minute back. So right now it's like do I have to drive? But um, when you, uh, when you talk about kind of maintaining the right direction, finding somebody that is wisely directing you. So I feel like obviously, you know, professionals that's in their best interest. That's what they're working towards is guiding you. Some people I feel are maybe not, you know, attuned or, or comfortable seeing a counselor so much as talking to a friend. Have you, I guess, do you have any insight into wisely choosing a counselor, somebody that you can rely on that you feel comfortable confiding in?
1: Yeah, I think uh, you have to listen to your intuition um, a lot. And it's it's not always going to be the first person. And we all have different things that we value. So not everybody is going to value somebody who is on the same page um, when it comes to faith as them. But for me, that's my plumb line, right? And so it has, to, it has to stay my plumb line, Every, otherwise everything else falls out of place. And, and it has to be the measuring stick with which I am, I am going through life and measuring all the other facets of my life against it um, because at my core, that's who I am and that's what I believe. And so having somebody that's on the same page as me when it comes to faith and when it comes to what that, that spiritual realm of my life looks like, that is vital. And um, also being that a large part of my life exists on in my job and, and social media um, and being authentic there and showing up as my true self, but also being guarded and being boundaried and, and maintaining that emotional separation. Um, that's a big part of who I am too. So I, my counselor follows me on social media and stays up, stays, you know, up to date with what I'm doing and what my work relationships look like and what my personal relationships look like. And so rather than me coming in and it just being, like I said, I don't like to do anything surface level and it being a surface level conversation, like she's been involved and she's been paying attention to what's going on. And, and I'll text her sometimes throughout the day or throughout the week. If I I would listen to a podcast or I hear a song that was really empowering and I'd send it to her. And, and so almost, there's almost like a friendship in it for me because I need her to fully know and understand me in order to walk alongside me and me have that full respect for what she has to say. And it's not that she's taking some authoritative stance and telling me what to do with my life. She's simply processing it with me and saying, um, just redirecting maybe some thought patterns that are incorrect or or helping me set boundaries that I never set before because I felt like I, I shouldn't set them. And being that person who has a complete understanding about what's going on in my life, but still still far enough back from it that she can say like, no, like obviously you have a right to do X, Y, Z in this situation, like let's you're looking at it the wrong way. So I think listening to your intuition, finding somebody you connect with, giving it more than one try, unless something feels totally off, Like you got, you have to stick with it just like with anything, you know, I, like I have a nanny here with my kids and obviously on day one, they don't know your children. They don't know your routine. They don't really know your expectations. Like it takes time to develop that relationship. And it's the same with a counselor or somebody that that's a a huge role in your life, mentoring you and walking you through, um, difficult situations and in maintaining your emotional health, like that is a relationship that needs to be nurtured and it takes time. And so just listen to your intuition, find somebody that aligns with you, um, ethically, morally, spiritually, whatever those important, those important postures are for you. Um, and, and, and listening to, to what your gut is telling you when it comes to, to that, um, that relationship because in, you know, to be quite honest, it is a relationship and, yeah. and, and being consistent, like don't get lazy and don't get busy. It needs to be on your calendar, <laughs> whatever that maybe it's once a week. Maybe it's every other week. Maybe it's once a month. She actually, she has a master's in, in, in counseling or, or psychology. And, and so she said they were told in school that every human being needs to go to a counselor at least once a year, um, just to I make sure. That. That, yeah make sure that they haven't developed any sense of any false, um, narratives really that need redirection. So,
0: yeah, I've got my fair share of redirection over the years.
1: <laughs> yeah. So
0: you mentioned it's interesting. Cause like, I never would have thought about, I guess, being friends more or less with a counselor or therapist, right. In, in professional weight. Right. Cause I've got friends that I lean on for counseling and direction, you know, taken with a grain of salt kind of depending on (laughs) whatever it is that we're talking about
1: probably doesn't work for everybody like people probably need a clear separation but for me because it's not just like simple blatant this is happening i need direction for me it's like this all-encompassing i need you to get in my brain and make sure that my brain is moving at at the correct in the correct direction totally
0: my question right is is how did you develop that and set because you talked about boundaries too, right? How did you develop exactly what you just said in addition to setting boundaries?
1: With the counselor?
0: Yeah, yeah. That and like, yeah, let's start start with the counselor because I had a a tangent of questions that I was writing down.
1: So like, how did I develop a relationship Mm. with her? Well, I
0: guess let's, because I don't want to get super personal where, you know, maybe you get uncomfortable so much as like, how did you define, how do you define boundaries with people in a way that you... I feel like I have a question that's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't quite get it out. Um, yeah, I totally lost it because I was like thinking,
1: like, how do I set boundaries with people that I in my life without, but still having the, the depth of the relationship?
0: Yes, that is a okay. great way to put that. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, again, there's a lot of my, of, of the, of my Christianity that comes into this where I, I have. I have a servant's heart and we all are called to have a servant's heart, right? Because we are all, we, there's a belief that we are part, all parts of the same body. We're just different parts of that body, but we all need to be in community. And, and that just, that brings together, obviously anybody, most people can look around and say, yes, community is important. We just look at it through a different lens as Christians. And so I have to make sacrifices for people, right? It's part of part of the walk. Not everything's going to feel good. You know, I may, I may need to make a sacrifice to love on somebody because I feel like they need it more. Maybe I, I have a full schedule lined up, but I have to clear my schedule to watch a friend's children because I know that she's extremely overwhelmed. Is that what I want to do? Maybe not immediately, but once I've postured my heart towards understanding that's what she needs from me and I'm capable of that, that's what I'm going, that I'm going to be happy to do it because that's my belief in what relationship with other people looks like the sacrifice of that. Now, if you are sacrificing your joy or your truth or, um, your peace and your security, that looks a little different, right? Where, where I'm having to guard my heart and my soul in that way of not, we're called to love one another, but we're not called to be doormats for one another. And I think there is a, a very fine line for a lot of people especially people that were raised in 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 religions where it was perceived as a shame factor if they didn't do xyz which may not be be doctrinal truth Okay. At the end of the day, to say it as, as simply as I can. Um, so boundary setting for me has actually been difficult and it's something that I'm definitely moving into, but I can see the, the benefit of that because so much of, of what we take in from other people is just a projection coming from themselves and their own lack of, or their own insecurity. And so while it's important for us to recognize that and for us to hold space for them, Um, and to have grace with them, it's not something that we have to sit by and allow into our life. Um, and so it's having the emotional health to understand when something is not right. And then also having the strength to say, I'm sorry, this is not the conversation we need to be having, or I'm sorry, I can't do that for you. um, And not always providing a solution for them, but just setting a boundary um, and allowing them to take things back into their own hands. And it's a lot of times it's uncomfortable and it's abrasive. And especially as Southerners who try not to be rude. We don't want to be rude about anything. We want to be very hospitable. It goes in stark contrast to, to how a lot of what we've, we've seen growing up. Um, But It's a case by case basis, you know, and then once you start, once you start to flex that muscle and once you start to say, oh, okay, this, this negatively, if I would have said yes to this, my heart posture wouldn't have been correct. And so then I would have been bitter about it in another regard, like swallowing things that are not, are not healthy never actually go away. They just manifest in a different way and then work to ruin the relationship or work against the relationship. So when you can recognize that, you can understand that maybe in the immediate moment, making this decision doesn't feel great. And it's going to negatively affect the current state of rather than me maintaining this amicability or this false sense of security, it's going to create some abrasiveness here, but it's, it is me managing the future of this relationship and the greater health of this relationship.
0: Interesting. Okay. Okay. So I'm hearing uh, setting boundaries needs to be taken out of current context, excuse me, to be the most impactful long-term. For sure. Okay. Okay. No, that's cool. I've, you know, I've, I love asking people that how they do stuff like that, that, that tends to be kind of not necessarily either discussed or really hard to put into words because, everybody obviously does it differently. So it's fun to kind of tap into the mindset of, of how you tackle things. So, um, okay. So I have maybe a couple more questions if you're all right with it. Um, sure. We
1: got, we got so psychological.
0: I know. Well, yeah, I, I I love it. That's stuff that's becoming more and more important to me. Right. So like, you know, it, throughout the podcast, I've talked a little bit about kind of like my, I hate to say journey. It sounds you know, a little woo woo to use your word, little woo woo when you say it like that, but not like, at all. Not you know, at all. I, I've seen counselors and therapists for off and on for 12 or 13 years now, and so it's like something that over the past three years has really been like really kind of been driving me forward. So it's fun to really get kind of down into the nitty gritty of it because mm-hmm. I don't feel like in the outdoor tactical military law enforcement, you know, world, whatever you want to call it. It's uh, it's talked about a whole heck of a lot. So it's fun to kind of tap into people's mindsets because it feels like everybody wants to talk about it, but nobody really does. And then when you start really getting into the tools and being able to tackle, or, you know, talk to people that go through kind of the exercises and the motions and can articulate it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's fun to get that information out there for me. Like that's kind of where I draw a lot of uh, energy, I guess you could say out of, out of people. So
1: And the more, the more we teach courses and the more I dive into creating curriculum and evaluating curriculum, it's just so evident to me that mindset, your mindset is the huge foundation of all of it and sets the stage for so much. If I'm teaching other people, even if I'm carrying a firearm, I have to be emotionally competent in understanding my own reaction to life in general, to fear Um, because we will never be operating in an emergency situation in an ideal circumstance. Right. Right. You know, we will be in an in an extremely sympathetic state, and we will have hormones playing into so much going in in our going on in our body, and without an understanding of not, I don't even want to say psychology because I don't expect people to open psychology books, but an understanding of your own mind, you, you are, you're starting off on the wrong foot by trying to manage your response to a circumstance that's out of your control without having control over yourself. Like that's just not the best, that's not the best way to approach it. And so no matter, no matter if we're teaching wilderness survival, you know, like austere survival or medicine, emergency medicine, basic med skills or self-defense, it all begins with your mindset and an understanding of you as an individual and other people, you know, because so many, so many times when you're, when you're in an emergency circumstance, you're managing other people's emotions in the midst of it. And so- it's just critical. It's such a critical component. And yeah, it seems so woo woo that people don't want to talk about it. Like, (laughs) let's talk about carbines and let's talk about all these different things, but not your brain, you know? Um, but it's, it's so important.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. One question I I have is, is, so you spend a lot of time doing the, the family preparedness stuff. Um, I guess it, it feels like you know, well, this is kind of a, a no-brainer, but the the tactical outdoor training style world is very male-dominated. How do you bring females in, and then what what tends to draw them into your classes, and and how do you get them over the hump and taking the leap into, uh, I guess, training the mindset, all of these skills that tend not to be, um, I guess, super female. I don't I don't know how you want to say that.
1: Yeah. So actually, when I came into the company. Um, there were no female specific courses, right? I think they, they may have tried to do one in the past and, and it just didn't work really well, uh, possibly, but they had great success with the tactical courses that existed. And the curriculum is excellent, you know, the instructor base is excellent. Like everything is there working in the benefit of Fieldcraft. And that's why they're such a successful company. But like I was saying, they wanted to really broaden their scope of training and the demographic of people they were bringing in. And that includes families. And for a lot of families, the the influence of the main influence during the day and during the 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 living hours of the home is the mother and a lot of it was just not relatable to women especially women who were newer to firearms or self defense and there's a lot of a lot of times there's ego involved with the husband when he's trying to teach the wife and you know especially if he's esteeming himself and he has these expectations of his wife and i'm sure what he's seeing or his partner what he's seeing in the tactical world are are, what do we even want to call them in a way that's not offensive, but, (laughs) um, these gun girls who are just not relatable and, and they're lovely people. And I've had conversations with them, but that's not what the average, the average mother is looking at and saying, I just can't do that. That's not me. Right. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm the woman who, goes to the park every morning with an iced coffee and a Marc Jacobs bag slung over my shoulder. Like <laughs> I don't look like this. So, so we really needed a way for it to be approachable and women after, after the the lockdown and the pandemic, women moved into being the main purchasers of firearms, new firearm owners in the United States. And for the first time, it was almost 100% self-defense guns, not hunting guns. And so that means we have a lot of women who felt threatened and insecure who wanted to get their own firearm. 50% of women in the United States live alone. So that's a huge statistic that I think I didn't people don't that. realize. Yeah. 50%. Yeah. And so they it's women purchasing these guns who then don't really know how to use them, right? And probably hide them away, but it makes them feel a little better knowing that they have something to protect themselves with. But do they? Do you even know how to load the magazine and load the gun? And so for for us, it was, let's bring this conversation to the table and pull these people out that are hiding. And social is a safe place to do that because they don't have to interact until they're ready. They can just sit back quietly, almost incognito and listen and watch and say, okay, my goal has always been to present it in a way that's Mm non-threatening. Does that mean that I'm not going to get attacked by people who are anti-gun? Not at all if I'm showing firearms, I'm inviting that into the conversation, right? Right. But I'm trying to do it in a way that's not like, look at me in your face. I'm going to be obnoxious about this, not calling anybody else obnoxious, just saying mine needed to be very subtle, very relatable and very approachable. And once we brought that demographic, started to bring that demographic in and we had rapid growth very quickly, um, we shifted into the conversation of It's probably worth a try for us to start up a course now that would involve just these women and where we used to, where the mindset used to be, we don't want to make a women's only course because that sets the precedent of women believing that they're incapable or subservient or less than, and Mm. need this special little course to train them. They, they started to see, you know, through the conversation that I was having with these women and the women that I was bringing in that that wasn't what they would believe when they saw that. And the women that were bold enough and experienced enough and who wanted to be in a co-ed class and do basic pistol or gunfighter out on a range, those women were gonna show up to those courses anyway, right? That's not the women we were trying to draw into this this class. We were trying to create an environment that was inviting and safe and non-judgmental and made these women feel like they belonged, which isn't a gunfighter course to start off with it's understanding the basic psychology of fear and what that innate feeling of wanting to protect yourself and protecting those around you looks like and how you use the capabilities and the tendencies that make you uniquely female to best serve you and not feel like that's something that's a weakness. Nothing about them is a weakness. It's all strengths. They just have to look at it through the correct lens. And so that's what we did. The first 1 to 2 hours of the course were specifically specifically gauged to have them understand that. It was it was just it's just neuroblocks and then we walk them through basic pistol, the parts of the gun, even the nomenclature of pistols and safety concerns. We use simunitions which okay. are much safer. They're non non-leth- they're non-lethal and they're non-toxic. We have a lot of pregnant women that come to these courses who are concerned with lead exposure with, with uh, live ammunition. And so with the simunitions, we get to have the same cycle of operation in the, in the firearm. The simunition guns are the exact frame of a Glock 17. And so they get the feel of that gun. It, the, you know, the, the cycle of operation works the same way. Like I was saying before, we can get their grip correct. We can have them feel what, recoil feels like in, in a small way obviously an actual a gun shooting a nine millimeter round is going to have a little more recoil but at least they get a very um a very non-threatening introduction to pistols and they, they get the basic concept of what shooting a gun is going to feel like and sure. it's a subsonic round so we're not they're not having to hear that aggressive shot over yeah. and over again as they're all shooting two magazines worth of, of ammunition right you know? it's a
0: polite introduction um,
1: absolutely absolutely and um and then we go over concealed carry and what that looks like what what the legalities are a lot of them are very concerned about that because women a lot of times women want that that organized thought process of what's the next steps after if something like this were to happen what are my rights if something like this were to happen like they get worried about the the legalities of it all and so we break that down for them we break down even holsters and clips, a lot of them are like, what is Kydex? What is inside the waistband? What is outside of the waistband? And I tell them, I, I never want you to make that big decision to conceal carry, um, or to even purchase a firearm. A lot of them are just, they're not ready to conceal carry yet. They're ready to own a firearm. Um, but they want to move, they want to move through that, 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 those steps. It's not always an immediate thing for them. It's like the decision to purchase a firearm, then the decision to carry a firearm. And so, they get to that point and then they start looking at their options as far as holsters and does their entire wardrobe have to change and how do they keep the gun safe when they're around their children all the time do they carry in a purse what if it what if they're in an outfit where they can't carry on their body what's the next step and when they realize there's so many unanswered questions and that they don't know what kydex is or what a concealment wing is or what iwb or owb is it's disempowering when they they finally felt like they made that decision to carry and then they get to this point and they're like, oh, I don't, I'm not ready because I don't, yeah. And so we walk them through all of that and just show them like the whole, my whole premise is it's not not as difficult as it looks. Let me show you how, let me show you how, let me break it down for you. Let me digest it for you so you don't have to do it. Um, And then we allow them to hold different firearms that we believe are the best firearms for women because they they won't necessarily be able to walk into a gun shop and be able to hold all of these different guns sure. and explain to them, you know, how, what it's supposed to feel like, how they're not supposed to overgrip, why this gun would shoot a little more accurately than another one, and, and just explain all of these things to them in a very clear way, um, and not coming across super tactical. You know, I don't think I come across super tactical, like I could if I need to in certain circumstances, but in these courses, that's not my goal. My goal is to make this very relatable to you in your life and, and, um, and make it inviting. And so uh, that's how we built the curriculum for these courses. And it's worked really well. And our our vision with the women's development in field craft is to move it into the tactical space where we have range courses that are traveling around the United States, just like our other courses, um, which would be, that would be more marksmanship courses versus an introduction to self-defense is kind of what we're teaching, you know, um, and to to have a path for women and they can do the basic pistol course. And then if they, they want to do a carbine course next, they've, they've kind of been gently led into that. And it won't be so intimidating anymore um, because they understand the nomenclature and they understand the purpose of it because, because we walked them through that. And so I think it's, for me, it's caring about the individual. What did these (laughs) women need? I was there to listen to them. I was there to hear their concerns and hear their heart and translate that into our training. And that's what we did. And it's worked really well. And now we're, we're ready to move into the next stage of it.
0: Yeah, that's great. So for women that might be listening to this, right. If uh, they're on the cusp of, of taking a class, right. They haven't jumped ship. They're maybe not quite sold on it. Not quite comfortable. What are the common concerns that you get that, that you can typically dispel and be like, listen, it's fine. Everything's good. You know, you're worried about this. We teach you that. What are, what are some of the things that typically lead people to your course uh, if they're fearful?
1: Um, so a lot of people are worried that if they don't have a firearm or they've never shot a firearm, that this course isn't for them and that they won't be able to accurately do the course, like that they're going to look like fools in front of everybody. And that is such a, that's such a false belief. And so um, I, that's something that I have to answer a lot of times is no, this has, this is nothing to do with your experience level. This is the perfect introduction for you actually, because it's not difficult to learn a skill like holding a gun or safety. These are all skills, right? These aren't, this doesn't, it, it takes thinking and it takes, it takes um, some mindset, but it's, it's almost like a nursing school when it comes to what, what distinguishes somebody with a bachelor's degree, maybe from somebody who's just doing skills, who's doing tech work, because you can teach a monkey to do skills, right? As right. If you do an IV over and over again, you can teach anybody to do an IV, really, that has, that has the basic fundamental understanding of manipulating a needle that you can teach. It's the critical thinking component. And so it's the same with the firearms. It's a skill. Like, as long as you, as long as you're paying attention and you're being consistent, you can teach a skill to anybody, but it's the critical thinking component that we want to build into you from the very beginning. Right. And so the skill part is easy. It's just, it's the tactical part. Like, that's not, that's not difficult. And, and, and we can teach them correctly from the beginning so that there's nothing that they're, that they're learning that, or, or that they're having to unlearn that was incorrect like unteach something that was wrong. Um, And so it's such a great start for people. And that's just always what I try to get across is you don't need any experience. You don't need a skill level. You can be scared. You can come scared. It's okay. It's safe here. No one's going to laugh at you. This is what we do. This is what we believe in. And this is what our entire company is built on is empowering families and empowering everyday average normal people. And so you're safe here this was created for you.
0: Okay. I love it. I think it's such a great idea. I mean, I I love, I love teaching people to shoot for their first time. It's always fun when you take people out because they're scared. Right. And by the time you're done shooting and training, they're like, I, I will be at Cabela's tomorrow.
1: (laughs) Right. And I, and I, and I feel a lot of times women are coming because they tried to shoot with their father or their husband and, and they got, you know, who, whomever it was got frustrated with them really quickly because the, the expectation was just unrealistic. And there's so much fear you have to work through with these people. I mean, I just want to hug women when I see them on the firing line and they're shaking and their palms are sweaty because like, it's something new. And I understand the fear. Um, but I hope that they see very quickly that we are not judging them. Like we are there sincerely to help them. No one else is looking at them in the course and thinking, Oh my gosh, like, she's ridiculous. I can't believe she doesn't know (laughs) at all. Her grip is terrible. Like everybody's equally as nervous. You know, even people that you think would have been shooting for years, um, they stand on that line and, and everybody gets broken back down to basic skill levels and we're there to learn and we're there to teach and that's it. There's no shame involved. Um, I think we create a very welcoming environment. I think, I think it's important for us to step back and look at what the needs are. Like, I, like, please don't worry about shame. No one is holding you to any standard. We are, at, when you stand on that firing line you are just getting broken back down to basic skill levels. And this is about you. And that's something I try to, to make these women understand. You're here representing maybe a family, maybe children, maybe friends. You know, we have young women who are unmarried, maybe your friend circle, you're here representing a community and all of that just overflows and is a force for good. And if women could recognize the influence they have, they're representing much more than just themselves. Yeah. And so I'm always so proud when they stand there and they they're nervous, but they do, they do the work, you know um, it's important and it's not necessarily for everyone in the current season of life they're in. Right. But I think it's important to listen to that, that call in your life. When you feel the need to step into that, that position, that position of protector of yourself and of others around you. And so, um, I've, I've had conversations with women that aren't ready for it and that's okay. And I, and I let them know, like, this isn't something you force Um, Yes, sometimes we do things that are uncomfortable because we're trying to, uh, we're trying to grow as individuals. But if this feels like it's, it's really rubbing against something that you believe or that you feel deeply, I I say it's important to take the time to evaluate that and move past it so that you're not attaching any negative feelings to something that is so important and is going to require a lot of your heart and your mind.
0: That's a really good point. That's a very good point. Not yeah. not attaching the negative feeling to something so important. I never thought about that either, but that is very that is very true. That is very. And true. I think
1: when we look at the when we look at the statistics, like I told you, from you know, I I mean, I do I I love connection and I love relationship, but I also have a large entrepreneurial entrepreneurial mindset, and so when I look at it from a business standpoint, you know, what's smart for us as a business? Well, it's smart for us to follow the statistics. And the statistics are telling us that women need firearm education and inviting women into that sometimes looks like a little bit of a softer language than people are used to. Not every woman, but a lot of them. And so if we are really going to make real training for real people, we have to be able to speak that language and, and provide what they are saying they need. And that was my job. When Mike brought me on board, my job, was to listen to the needs of women, to create a community where I could engage with them and truly hear what they had to say. And so quite frankly, this course and the curriculum for this course was built through the feedback from women. It was built for women. Um, we used our, we used Mike's expertise, we used my expertise to fill in the gaps, But, but this course was created to meet a need that women expressed Um, that was existing. And so you can't really fail, right? When you have listened to your (laughs) consumer base and you built something for (laughs) them. Okay. We froze for a second. So repeat your question. Okay.
0: Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm fresh out of questions. At least I feel like I am right now, but is there anything, (laughs) is there anything that you, you feel like maybe you don't share enough of, maybe you don't uh, get asked a whole lot that you feel is important for maybe new shooters, women, um joining the industry mothers families anybody that that you know you feel is important to share that doesn't you don't feel gets out there often enough
1: oh gosh um totally loaded good question such a loaded question i i mean i feel like i get asked all the questions all the time so there's not anything that's really missing um I, so I don't know if, if, if you've seen, but we've started um, online courses at Fieldcraft. And actually, I forgot to throw that into my job title in the beginning, but I do, um, I do the, the creating of our online courses and kind of run that sector of Fieldcraft. Um, and I think that this is a huge component when it comes to self-defense and self-reliance because it completely eliminates the excuse factor because (laughs) no one has to know you're doing it. You can do it on your own time. You can do it at two in the morning. You can rewind it as many times as you want. Um, and it's such a soft introduction in many ways to different topics, um, to let you see if, if, you know, if you're like, Oh, a primitive survival class looks kind of cool. You could do an online course. That's an introduction to primitive survival to see if that's something worth your entire Saturday, giving up and driving to one of these courses. Um, and then it's something you can do with your whole family to make it a lifestyle of preparedness with your family. Um, my vision is that there will be there will be courses on there that you take before you come to a firearm course, so that we're eliminating so much of the shame and questions. We're going over safety protocols, and they're just they they know what to expect when they walk in, when they walk in. I think the more knowledge you can give people, the more power they feel, and to have people walk in already feeling powerful. Um, it's huge and it changes the entire energy of a course. And so I look forward to using um, our online courses in manner, Um, not necessarily to always completely replace in-person courses. It can in a lot of ways, especially for niche topics like canning or food storage, like things that would be important for you to be able to reference back. Like, I think these are huge when it comes to online courses and that there's so much value in them there. Um, But something to maybe precede in-person courses to just really get them feeling comfortable with it. So I'm really excited for this next phase um, of education for us and, and the empowerment that it will bring to people. So
0: that's super cool. I will check that out because there's, there's a lot of things that I don't know <laughs> that like, yeah. I mean, rather than having, you know, cause a lot of these courses are not near me, you know, there's not a whole lot in Boise. I feel like unless there's some firearms courses, but there's not a whole lot of non firearms reliance type courses that I'm aware of. So I, you know, for me to go to some of these classes, it's a six to eight hour drive, <clears throat> excuse me. So it's a bit of a commitment, you know, it's like a a day, a day off of work to get there, you know, a day for the class and a day to get back, you know, so it's like there goes an entire weekend, but that'll be very convenient to, uh, to take advantage of.
1: Yeah. And while YouTube is great, sometimes getting pertinent skills from YouTube um, is not always our best course of action. Right. And so with this, we can make sure that we're moderating, Um, the quality and make sure that we have subject matter experts talking about the subject matter and so you can be assured that you're getting the proper education on topics whether it's canning you know like nobody wants botulism in their pantry or tourniquet application like it's these are kind of important to make sure that you have all the safety measures in place and um, and a lot can be learned online from the comfort of your own home so we're very excited about that. It's called We the Prepared. So it's at wetheprepared.com.
0: Okay. Okay. And is that live yet or in the works?
1: Yeah, it's live. Um so so far we have 5 live courses, um but it's something that we're scaling as we go.
0: Okay. Okay. I'm going to take note cuz I'll, uh, I'll get that linked in the episode. Okay. Got it. Okay. Well, if people want to get a hold of you, uh how how do you want them to find you?
1: Yeah, so the best way to find me is just through Instagram. Uh, my handle's miss ms.amber.l, E-L-L-E. Um, and that's where I do most of my interacting and posting. And then um, you can find me teaching courses uh, at Fieldcraft.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, before we close out, is there anything that you would like to throw out there that we might've skimmed over, didn't jump into enough that you feel needs a little bit more attention?
1: I don't think so. Get, get your brain right. Get your mind right. People, (laughs) everything starts from there.
0: Amber, once again, thank you for taking the time to uh, sit down, talk with me, share your expertise, experience, and knowledge. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, and I hope uh, everybody listening, I hope you all feel like you took some great information away, uh, maybe maybe took some information away that, uh, that will lead you to uh, joining a new community, tackling a new fear, or getting involved in something totally outside your comfort zone because that's where growth is. But beyond that, please like, subscribe, review the show, and uh, we'll catch you next time.